You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hey, everyone. If you like this podcast, you should check out the full finance journey at realvision.com slash rvpod to get the full view of what Real Vision is all about. A video on-demand platform you can watch anywhere. Our members get daily videos and analysis, plus access to more than 3,000 videos for beginners and experienced investors alike, and live events online. You'll join the most thoughtful community in finance. More than 300,000 people who trust Real Vision to be the anchor to truth in the financial world. To get started, visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code PODCAST10 to get 10% off our essential membership for your first year. Enjoy the show. Good afternoon, all, and welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I'm Andreas Steno, the Senior Editor at Real Vision, and it is my pleasure to host the show again. We are sending to you live the 26th of July on a day where the IMF sounded the alarm on uh, global growth. Stocks are lower on the day, with Nasdaq suffering the most, being down almost 2% ahead of the extremely important decision from the Federal Reserve tomorrow. And uh, with me today is an avid central bank follower and also a senior markets editor at Real Vision as well. Uh, Weston Nakamura, it's very good to see you again, buddy. Andres, my man, how are you? Thanks for having me on. I'm good. Uh, it must be early for you, mate. You're in Tokyo, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, you could say that's 5.01 uh, a.m. Um, so it's usual RVDB time for me. <laughs> but let's get to the top story of the day, Weston. Um, the IMF slashes global GDP forecasts, um, and they actually revise global growth down by 0.4% uh, this year and 0.7 percentage points for next year compared to the April projections. Um, do you think the IMF is right in sounding the alarm on global growth? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I don't think that they're particularly being contrarian here. Um, I think that well, there's a lot of, I mean, markets themselves, you know, last time you were in IRR and we were talking about is the market shifting from inflation to recession and all that. Um, at the time, I was saying, like, I think for a few weeks, that's been uh, kind of being priced in and a few weeks hence, uh, certainly being priced in. So I don't think that they're necessarily, you know, off base um, with all with all this um I, what I think is interesting, however, is that at the same time, they're still saying central banks need to tighten policy um, where appropriate with, you know, rampant inflation. Yeah, that's quite an interesting cocktail. And let's debate the central banks because we have a big week upcoming uh, with the Federal Reserve decision tomorrow, etc. cetera. Uh, if you look at central bank pricing right now, um, it seems as if the market is extremely uncertain in terms of the outlook for the Federal Reserve. What do you make of the meeting tomorrow and the pricing? Sure, so um, let me just walk you through what I'm watching um, with the yen, okay? for the This is regarding the Fed. So for the Fed, the reason I'm watching the yen is because shorting the yen has been the global macro trade of 2022, or at the very least, short yen or long dollar yen has been a Fed trade, if not the Fed trade. 
I'll talk about this in my last uh, Bank of Japan video, um, which is a kind of full look back at the first half of this year since I flagged BOJ, you know, as this rogue central bank uh, to watch back in January. Video is called uh, How BOJ Blew, Blew Up Markets 2022. It's on Real Vision YouTube. Please watch that if you uh, want a detailed overview of what happened so far and where I think we're going to go through the lens of BOJ and yield curve control. But basically, so regarding the short yen being a Fed trade, the reason is because normally rates traders would bet on like front end rates, usually using euro dollar futures. Um, just note those who are unfamiliar, euro dollar futures are short term interest rate derivatives, not to be mistaken with the euro. This is not a currency instrument, it's completely different. So normally rates traders, they would bet on where they expect Fed funds will be priced and at what level and when, and et cetera, right? But uh, Brian, uh, chart one. Uh, if you take a look at these uh, two charts that I have, the top chart is implied volatility on euro dollar futures. Uh, bottom chart is just the price of yen futures. So for the past several years, both euro dollar implied volatility and the yen have been relatively flat. Then starting around 2021 and then really ramping up in 2022, we have implied vol on euro dollar futures skyrocketing to insane levels. And that surge in front end rate vol is a direct reflection of Fed policy uncertainty. Like if you wanted to quantify and chart out market uncertainty of Fed policy, that's what that chart would look like, right? So rather than traditional outright bet on Fed policy, traders instead have been playing a relative trade, hawkish central banks against the lone dovish central bank, which is staunchly capping its sovereign yields, which is obviously the BOJ and the JGB market. And so this policy divergence trade or, you know, shorting the yen is being massively piled on. Um, and you can see those kind of splitting off in, in, um, in tandem at this more or less around the same time. Um, and Brian chart too. Um, this is a um, this is a massively crowded trade. So this is asset managers largest net short uh, CME yen futures position. Uh, on near record. Um, it was a record just a few weeks ago, but it's still basically there. Massive, massive yen position. You also have Japan Retail, who is a big force in lever at FX day trading um, and certainly can impact markets. Japan Retail simultaneously has the largest net long USD on record. So everyone is on this like short yen trade. Um, and then now regarding this shift of markets positioning from inflation shifting to recession. So I also mentioned this in the BOJ video, but first of all, my view, at this moment, there is nobody who wants a an overly hawkish Fed to break things more than BOJ Governor Kuroda, because although the Fed and BOJ policy divergence is what's been killing the yen and causing Kuroda all these headaches, at this point, Kuroda's best scenario would be for the Fed to hike and to suffocate the economy and break things and then get a bid back into bonds JGB yields come down on their own without central bank intervention. Dollar yen comes down, and Kuroda, who's been on hold this whole time, looks like some sort of you know like hero as markets you know the economy came back to him, right? Um, and this is also what he's kind of betting on staunchly by defending yield curve control. Like he needs a recession before his term ends in April 2023. And then chart three, Brian. Uh, as of late, markets have uh, continued to shift from inflation to recession concerns. Um, repricing, particularly in Europe, um, and this is where you can call it as well. But like this is like you know the uh, Euro Swissy rate sub 100 or uh, sub one, you know, just broke through that one level um, into like the 99 handles, and now it's you know hitting record lows even today. So basically, if if the FOMC and Powell, if they aren't as hawkish as expected or as priced in, 
we can potentially see a rush to close these short yen positions on this U.S. to Japan policy divergence profit taking. Um, and and so for the play for me um, would be if you are going to do that either as a hedge or an, as, as an outright bet. Um, chart four, Brian, uh, is is to short the euro rather than short uh, USD JPY. So you short EU EUR JPY instead of USD JPY because the euro remains relatively strong versus the yen. Um, you know, it's been getting killed by everything else, but versus the yen, it's still still pretty uh, buoyant. But it is topping out. Um, and with this, this is another thing I want to talk to you about as well and get your view on. But with this recent ECB's TPI, uh, as I call yield spread control, um, which you have a more funny name on, but which basically, you know, it makes uh, ECB in more in line with BOJ's yield curve control than with the Fed, even with ECB's front loaded rate hike. Uh, so that policy divergence between the ECB and the BOJ, that needs to close up um, via euro uh jpy so that's how i'm looking at it so i'm going to be actually looking at obviously all you know cross asset all instruments but specifically euro yen um with the fed tomorrow if we look at the yen trade um i have to admit that i perfectly agree with it i have to trade on myself um because of the risk reward of the trade uh if if we look at uh, a couple of scenarios if the federal reserve is extremely hawkish uh, there is a potential risk that they break equity markets into the autumn. I think that's ultimately a good thing for the yen uh, if if the Fed really manages to break assets um, in, in, in a violent fashion. Uh, but if they surprise on the dovish side, uh, then I also think that we should expect a, uh, a rally in the yen as a consequence of the positioning that you just depicted. So it is an extremely good risk-reward tra trade, uh, given that it, it kind of works in, in both the extreme dovish scenario and, and, and in the extreme um, hawkish scenario from the Federal Reserve. I think the big risk to this trade is if we get a substantial worsening of the uh, energy situation worldwide, given that Japan is a big net importer of, uh, of energy. But Western, in relation to the debate on whether the Federal Reserve will lean hawkish or dovish, um, you have an important point to make in terms of forward guidance, because essentially the Fed will likely not commit to anything at all tomorrow, will they? I mean, they they may, but is, is the market going to take them seriously? So Christine Lagarde killed off forward guidance officially. Like she said, like my, my September, whatever I said about September, like the, the, scrap that. That's not it's not relevant anymore. We're going meeting to meeting. We're going month to month. We're going to be data dependent. Um, forward guidance is dead. Now the Fed uh, essentially killed forward guidance themselves by doing that intermeeting Wall Street Journal, you know, 75 basis point rate hike going into the June FOMC. So whatever they say, are like they can, of course, they're going to guide, but our market is going to take them seriously. And so that's the thing about a, a trade like this or any any sort of trade, um, any Fed related trade, which is basically everything at, these, at this point. From here forward, if forward guidance is dead, are people going to be like hooked onto every word of what Jay Powell says during press conferences? Do press conferences matter anymore? Uh, how do we know if they even matter anymore? Like what market behavior is? Can we even tie that to what he's saying or is that totally, you know, unrelated? So we're in uncharted territory right now of not just whether or not um, forward guidance matters or not and, and deciphering that, but whether or not we know if forward guidance matters at all.
We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. If we take a look at the current pricing of the big central banks um, and start with the European Central Bank, we have a chart uh, on, on today's pricing of the European Central Bank into next year. Um, and is, it is quite visible from this chart that the market expects the ECB to continue to hike during the autumn uh, all the way until the early part of next year with around five times 25 basis points in total being priced into the curve right now on top of the 50 basis points that we already received uh, was it last week? Uh, what do you make of the possibility of the European Central Bank hiking all the way until Q1 next year? I think that it would be very interesting if they follow through with that, because if they follow through with that, then I think that they might have to implement this TPI, I suspect, hmm. uh, as a offset. Uh, what was the What was the acronym that you used for it? I call it temporary protection of Italy. Right. <laughs> so, so I mean, it is obviously designed for Italy, um, maybe Greece, yeah. but uh, I, I mean, we've we've had a lot of debate in recent weeks uh, on whether uh, Italy is eligible or not uh, for protection via this uh, bond purchasing program, uh, and I have a fairly pragmatic view on that because. By the end of the day, um, the program is designed to protect countries like Italy. Uh, so as long as the European Commission um, holds no sort of cards against the ECB buying Italian bonds, and for now they don't, then the uh, Italian bonds will be eligible in, in this program. And I perfectly agree with you. They will have to put this program into use should they hike interest rates um, during the autumn to the extent that is priced into the markets. And Back to the discussion on the euro versus the yen, I think that makes for a a really interesting risk reward in that uh, currency pair because it basically means that the European Central Bank is damned if they do and damned if they don't. Um, If they hike interest rates, they will have to print new euros to protect Italy. And if they don't hike interest rates, uh, they will disappoint the current market pricing leading to an even weaker euro than what we um, already see now. Weston, if we look at... The Federal Reserve, uh, we can bring a chart uh, up on the screens uh, on the current Euro-Dollar curve pricing. Uh, And here we refer to the um, uh, derivatives that you mentioned initially uh, on dollar-libor. So this is the future pricing of the dollar-libor interest rate. Uh, And as you can see, we also um, have a market pricing expecting the Federal Reserve to pivot uh, already during the first half of uh, of next year. Uh, Ultimately, uh, we probably need the Fed to surprise on the dovish side even before then to have a rally in risk assets, don't you think? Oh, certainly. Uh, I do. But again, the implied volatility on Euro-dollar futures is is just, I mean, I don't know if it's unprecedented. It certainly seems to be, or at least for you know many decades going back. But that curve, that chart that you showed, I mean, if you showed that to me, I don't know, like, two weeks ago, it would look very different, right? I mean, it just keeps shifting forward. And so essentially what that means is that rate cuts are coming 
uh, sooner, right? I mean, they used to be out. The cuts were coming in in June of 2023. Now they're, I guess, around you know the January, the beginning of uh, uh, 23, and, and and so on. So, um, so uh, again, so rate volatility or front end rate volatility is going to affect the move index, the VIX index, you know, and and all that too. So I think that yeah, you're you're probably going to need. You're certainly going to need the Fed to back off in order to get some sort of uh, breath of or sigh of relief rally for the for equities. Um, but that's going to come with a lot of volatility. And so if there's spot up VIX up, right? If there's basically volatility going up alongside the index going up, that's not a very sustainable rally for the uh, equity, you know, the, the indices in and of themselves. As long as it's being paired alongside rate volatility, um, that's uh, going to be a very choppy market. It's a trader's market at best um, and not really one for like, you know, to to rebuild a long term, long position um, and call a bottom on, I, you know, with with rate vol at, at these levels. Weston, I, I wanted to play a, uh, a soundbite for you uh, in relation to this discussion on the Eurodollar curve. Uh, it is from a discussion staring um, Mr. Eurodollar, Jeff Snyder, uh, in, uh, in discussion with uh, Stephen Van Meter and Roger Hurst on the exact curvature of the Eurodollar curve. So let's uh, look at the, uh, at the video clip and get back to the discussion. You're right, Steve. The, the Fed in particular has said, we're going to ignore Eurodollar futures. And the reason they want to ignore Eurodollar futures is because it tells them things they don't want to hear. It tells them they're wrong. And so they say, well, we can't be wrong. We're the Fed. We're never wrong, except they're wrong every time and Eurodollar futures curves end up being right. The last time this happened, when the inversion, uh, inversion was just a fraction of what it is now, was in June, starting in June of 2018. Eurodollar futures began to invert in June of 2018. Remember June of 2018, at the time, nobody thought the Fed was going to end up stopping. You know, Jay Powell was as, almost as hawkish as he is now back in June of 2018. And Eurodollar futures began to price what ended up happening in 2019, which was a Fed pivot into rate cuts that nobody saw coming except this entire market. You can go back to 2006, the Eurodollar futures curve, like the Treasury curve, they predicted not just the, uh, the, 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 that there was going to be uh, the global financial crisis, but also could tell you about when it was coming because the Eurodollar futures inversion, like the treasury inversion, grew steeper. It moved further up toward the front of the curve as we got closer and closer to that crisis and that recession. Eurodollar futures in, in 2000, 1999 even, 99 and 2000, predicted the dot-com recession. So Eurodollar futures, unlike the Federal Reserve, has an actually envious track record of being able to predict these things. And the problem is the Federal Reserve wants to dismiss all of these financial signals for whatever hand-waving reasons that they can come up with, simply because the financial markets are disagreeing with everything that the Fed is doing, as well as their interpretations of economic circumstances. The entire discussion between Jeff Snyder, Roger Hurst, and Stephen Van Meter is available for subscribers at the Real Vision platform. But uh, Weston, back to you. Um, Jeff Snyder basically says here that uh, the euro dollar curve is screaming to the Federal Reserve to pivot. What do you make of that discussion? Yeah, so uh, I just first and foremost will say that uh, I think Jeff is very brilliant um, and knows this subject in and out. Um, and so I'm not going to challenge him per se. I'm just going to just accept that he knows more than me and he always will. Uh, that said, though, here's what I will say. 
my sort of pushback, I guess, would be that um, I think that I, I don't know that the Fed doesn't know necessarily about the, you know, these like futures curves or, or that they're ignoring them um, on purpose. I think that they would like to perhaps act on them. But if they do, they'll just be completely at the whim of the markets with the markets knowing that. And they need to exert some sort of or at least attempt to exert some sort of control over the situations. You know, you don't fight the Fed like that whole narrative like that needs to reinstate itself. Um, and so I think that the, it's not a matter of ignorance necessarily. It's a matter of what they what they can can and should do in terms of their policy communication. Not that that has been you know, particularly good. Uh, one more, more point I, I want to just mention, I mentioned this uh, with um, Maggie Lake on the daily briefing um, last week as well, but with regards to um, this temporary Italy protection program, <laughs> this uh, yield spread control program, if they want to, if the ECB wants to take any notes or um, take any cues from the BOJ, they, sh they need to be very careful as to when they do it because markets have no idea at what level, at what price level, what you know, uh, boom the BTP spread level um, is is going to call for this uh, action to take place? So, reminds me of BOJ back in September of 2016. They announced the curve control. Nobody knew what the hell that was. It was very new. And then it was like six months later, in February of 2017, when they first actually did it. And they did it. It happened to be when JGB yields were 10-year JGB yields were at 10 basis points. And once they did it. 10 basis points then became the market's level, the set level. And then they went plus and minus 10 uh, basis points and set this target range. Range never existed. The concept never existed before, but markets did it. And then the BOJ got forced into adopting it. And now here they are defending 25 basis points like, you know, like their life depends on it. Um, and so the, the ECB needs to be very careful as to when they do it and what price level it has to be, you know, they have to be very conscious of that because markets will just cling to that immediately and nail them down to that price level. Yeah, and they obviously haven't firmed up that level in Italian bonds yet. Uh, so my take is basically to be short Italian bonds until the ECB tells you not to be, <laughs> to, to be very firm. Um, I, I wanted to, to discuss with you also um, how to position uh, in, in various asset classes ahead of the Federal Reserve meeting. And one thing I've noted um, is the mixed signals that we receive uh, from various uh, companies um, currently. If we look at the um, uh, report from uh, from Walmart, um, they basically told us that uh, they see demand destruction in certain categories now. Um, they tell us that the inflation that we see in the food category basically leads to consumers not buying merchandise and clothing, for example, uh, at Walmart stores, while at the same time, McDonald's is telling us today that they are faced with around 10% wage inflation. Um, how would you position in equity markets if you want any positions at all ahead of this Federal Reserve meeting? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I want to, I want to defer back to you uh, on that. Um, I know that you have a, um, a, a pair, a sector pair idea. Um, what I will say, though, regarding like what happened with Walmart and their, you know, their, their pre-announcement, if you will. Um, so there's an individual, for those who don't know, Brad Snyder, he is a uh, Real Vision member, he's a truck driver, he's a good friend of mine. We, um, you know, we have this show called Exchanging Lanes that we did on an episode a few months ago, six months ago on YouTube, Real Vision YouTube, um, and the link is out there. And basically we talk about this, 
you know, he basically is the best macro like indicator as in like, he's not an indicator of anything. He's seeing things in real time and he's basically giving us like what's happening on the ground in the American economy in real time. He has the most sort of like broad overview due to his job and then being able to see week over week changes across a wide array of geographies and, and you know, industries and so on and so forth. But something that he was talking about six months ago that he brought up that nobody else was at the time was this concept of, you know, like this excess inventory. And though what we were discussing at the time, it didn't play out exactly to, to this degree. That is an issue that Walmart and not just Walmart, but Walmart and the other retailers and uh, even Amazon stock was down today on the, on this on these concerns uh, are, are currently facing. So um, just want to give a shout out to Brad uh, on that um, for fantastic uh, heads up on that. But uh, Andreas, give us some. Um, what's the what's the trade? I guess the sector trade that you were talking about. This long short. We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. I, I mean, demand destruction is visible across the board right now. Uh, the retailers are telling us about it, uh, but we can also see it in macro data. Uh, and if we look at uh, the best macro indicator, I think, of uh, demand, um, the weekly um, wages adjusted for inflation, then we have a crystal clear signal currently. Um, wages adjusted for inflation, they're falling off a cliff. Uh, and to me, that is a signal that um, the consumer discretionary sector will continue to suffer. Uh, essentially, when wages are falling off a cliff adjusted for inflation, you buy stuff that you need uh, and you don't spend on luxury goods, right? Uh, so it's, it's, it's a trade that I've had on for quite a while, being short the consumer discretionary ETF uh, versus being long consumer staples. So actually long Walmart um, versus, for example, Tesla. Um, uh, those are, are like two big positions in that relative bet. Uh, and I think it will continue to work as a consequence of the demand destruction that is ongoing. Uh, the Federal Reserve is telling us that they want demand destruction. Uh, they want to continue to see demand destruction during the autumn to ensure that inflation comes down. Uh, and by the end of the day, that will lead PMIs lower compared to, to current levels. Uh, and I have a bar chart on um, the sensitivity across various equity uh, sectors to the ISM index, the ISM PMI index. Uh, and it is an interesting conclusion uh, when you look at that bar chart um, because the sector that is the least vulnerable to falling PMIs um, is basically consumer staples or the utility sector, while stuff like uh, consumer discretionary with a lot of tech uh, and luxury goods uh, within that basket uh, is uh, is much more vulnerable to um, to the PMI falling. So that could be one way of playing uh, a continuously hawkish Federal Reserve over the course of the um, of the autumn and the late summer here. If we look at um, the current macro data. Uh, Western. Uh, I, I also want to show a chart on uh, on the retail sales volumes uh, compared to the uh, retail sales non-adjusted for for inflation. Uh, I see that Brian brings up this, uh, the chart now. Um, 
I think that's a very important point to make uh, to people out there right now, that you need to inflation adjust every single number that you look at. Uh, because if you look at, at numbers that are not uh, adjusted for inflation, they will all look extremely elevated, right? Uh, and I think that's uh, something to bear in mind during the reporting, reporting season as well, that top line numbers will look uh, almost extremely elevated as a consequence of inflation. But if volumes are dropping, um, then it's not necessarily a positive story for uh, for growth anyway. Weston, I think we have time for a uh, couple of uh, questions from the, from the audience as well. Um, and um, Fred asks us um, whether we think that once the Fed acts tomorrow, whether we will see additional um, action from the ECB or the Bank of Japan soon thereafter. What's your take on that? No. Well, not like, I don't think that the ECB or the BOJ will be shocked in any way by what the Fed does, even if they go 100 um, basis points. This is what Governor Crota, at least, um, is, like I said, hoping for, if not expecting at the very least. Uh, the ECB front-loaded, probably expecting some sort of, you know, if anything, the Fed might be following ECB, um, you know, in, in this in this particular, uh, you know, round. Um, but no, I don't think that that's um, that's what happened. I think that the, if anything, they'd be a surprise if they if they were taken to be dovish. Hmm. If if we look at uh, the developments today in uh, in markets, um, we had quite a material repricing of the natural gas price in the U.S. after the uh, news emerged that um, the European Union will have to sort of ration gas uh, across the Union uh, to ensure that storages um, uh, will will basically hold through the winter season. Uh, we know that both Japan and uh, big countries within the Eurozone are big importers of, uh, of energy. Uh, how resilient is the Japanese economy to a continued rise in, uh, in energy prices? It's not. No. It's, it's, it's not, it's not resilient. So, um, but the real problem is, so like Japan is, the one risk to uh, buying calls on the yen or applying the yen upside, um, is that Japan the, the yen can continue to weaken strictly off of just having Japan having to buy spot LNG at ever higher you know uh, costs and doing so crowding out EM you know uh, Asia EM basically um, who are unfortunately going to be outbid by the likes of you know J Japan and so on and so forth but no Japan is completely energy un unsustainable on its own and needs to import just as much as Europe needs to and then things that are happening with like Nord Stream 1 and all that um, with, with Europe and you know 20% um, capacity all that does also flow out into like LNG pricing and supply and demand for Asia as well and directly to Japan. So it's all very much interconnected, which therefore then ties in the Euro, the Yen and, and all that as well. So it's all this one big sort of loop. Um, what's your take on that? You, you're, you're living it more so than I am, so. <laughs> uh, I mean, if we look at current storage levels in, in the Eurozone, um, they are basically far from being full um, on, on natural gas, in particular if we look to towards Germany, the Netherlands, um, and a couple of Eastern European countries. So it is a tricky situation, and I think Putin holds the upper hand in that negotiation, but I ultimately think that the Eurozone will cave into his demands and ensure that uh, the gas will, um, will flow during the winter season because they have no 
uh, other options by the end of the day. Um, interestingly, I think it could, it's tradable basically uh, if, if you look at the commodity sector because for now it may make sense to continue to be long energy, uh, so natural gas and oil, in a spread trade versus industrial metals. Um, and the reason why is that the Chinese economy suffers big time. And I want your opinion on, on that as well. Uh, let's uh, put up the chart on Chinese consumer confidence. Uh, I think we, we we got that number a couple of days ago and it looks absolutely abysmal, um, the recent uh, consumer confidence data from, from China. Um, and we know that the Chinese economy is very interlinked to the industrial metal space, uh, Western. That, that is one hell of a chart. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> Uh, yeah, um, that's actually, that's interesting. I haven't actually th thought of that, um, but your, your energy versus metals, uh, trade. And then with China, I think that that's your, I, I would have to look at that through the lens of the yuan, um, especially, you know, with, with base metals and all that. But, you know, I mean, we, we're also seeing some, you know, developments happening once again with like the lever grants. Um, coming up, and and so if the property development sector, people are boycotting mortgage payments and all that kind of thing, and the property development sector is crashing in China, uh, that could be a certainly a very tradable uh, metals complex, um, and then it would be almost not independent per se, but it would diverge or be di differently sourced from uh, the energy uh, side of it as well. So um, something to look into for sure, yeah. Yeah, um, I've had at least uh, a decent couple of months in, in my portfolio compared to the beginning of the year. Uh, I had an awful beginning of the year. Uh, and therefore, uh, today's meme, uh, as you know, I've made it my trademark to, to always conclude the show with the meme, uh, refers to that better performance of my portfolio. Uh, not sure if I'm a better trader or the market stopped going down. Um, maybe it's a combination. I don't know. Uh, but uh, I guess that uh, concludes the show for, uh, for today. Weston, a pleasure to talk to you again. Yeah, pleasure's all mine. Thanks so much, Andres. We will be back tomorrow uh, with all the action surrounding the Federal Reserve meeting. It will be a huge day. Uncertainty um, is elevated, uh, but let's see whether the Federal Reserve will actually dare to guide us at tomorrow's meeting. I will be back with Darius Dale tomorrow to um, basically boil down all of the action. Thanks for watching today. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.